0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but join me if you will in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6. And this morning we're going to be talking about muzzling lions as we look at the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Now, before we get into that story though, I just want to share with you another story. In March of 2007, a teenager by the name of Dane Kaiser, no relation to B. Kaiser or any of the Kaisers around here, but... Dane Kaiser was 16 years old. He was visiting a lion conservatory park in South Africa with his mom and his girlfriend. And we actually have a picture that we're going to put up on the screen of him. And there was a program years ago on the Discovery Channel that uh, talked about his story. But, But Dane's mother was dating the guy who managed and took care of the lion park. And so Dane had been there a number of different times and he was quite comfortable with this place. Now the lions in this place they were fenced in by this heavy chain link fence type of material, and you could walk right up to the fences and get right beside these enormous creatures. Well, Dane and his mom and his girlfriend uh, they came close to this fence and. I don't know if he was trying to impress his girlfriend or what, but he reached down his hand underneath the fence and was able to stroke the ear of one of the lions, something that he had seen the guy who had managed this lion park do many times before. But uh, he's petting this lion, and this is a particular time of the year, mating season, when lions were more aggressive, and even those that were typically somewhat tame. Well, this lion grabbed a hold of his arm, pulled him underneath the fence, where two other lions started attacking him as well. At first, he tried to fight these lions off and get away from them, and then he remembered something that he had been taught uh, about situations like this, that you needed to play dead, that you should just lay there without moving and, and even hold your breath, and so that's what he did. In that moment, two of the three lions started fighting each other, and uh, the other one, um, uh, or or, well, these two lions, they started fighting each other over which one of them was going to get to uh, eat him first, and so uh, eventually, though, the third lion also took his paws off of the boy as well, and so he saw this narrow opportunity to try and escape. He hobbles to his feet, he uh, starts to move away from the lions as fast as he can, And on the ground, not too far away, he sees this big stick. So he picks this stick up and he tries to use it to fend off these ferocious animals as much as he could. He's able to scoot along the side of the fence while keeping some distance between himself and these lions. And it seems like uh, forever, but eventually they're able to open up the the gate to this lion cage and and they get him out before he gets devoured. Now, Dane is badly wounded. After they rush him to the hospital, he goes through a number of hours of surgeries and uh, goes through an extensive period of um, rehab where he eventually is able to recover, which kind of makes this a little bit of a modern day Daniel in the Lion's Den story. But there are two very important differences between this story and the one that we find in Daniel chapter 6. You know, in this story, unlike the biblical account, this kid gets into the lion's den because of a very foolish decision on his part. In the Bible story, it's just the opposite that takes place, that Daniel is thrown into the lion's den because of a very noble and wise decision on his part. And then secondly, Dane gets out of the cage alive, but he has lots of scars all over his body to show that he has spent some time in the lion's den Daniel, on the other hand, comes out unscathed, untouched, unharmed. Now, I know that many of you have been around the church. uh, uh, If you've been around the church for a long period of time, um, you've been around when you were a little kid, you are probably very, very familiar with this story, Daniel, in the lion's den. But can I just tell you something here this morning? I have heard this story many, many times before, from the time I was a little kid but this week, as I was studying this passage, God was showing me things that I don't remember ever noticing before. And I just say that because I, I think that we can read through uh, these stories. We can read through the entire Bible. Maybe you've even read the, through the entire Bible more than once. But that doesn't mean that you're done because God is always in the business of teaching and helping you grow along the way. Now, I want to remind you that Daniel, he is no longer a teenage boy that had been dragged out of his house in Jerusalem and exiled into Babylon. No, Daniel is now somewhere in his 80s and uh, very different than maybe many of the pictures that you probably have seen in the modern storybook Bibles. Uh, the, the, the storybook Bibles today show Daniel a lot of times as a young 20-something being thrown into a lion's den. But, but that's not an accurate picture of Daniel here. He's, he's not some young kid. This is a guy who is being dropped into a hole, and you might think as he falls into this hole, is he even going to be able to recover from the fall, let alone deal with the lion's? What I love about Daniel is that here he is, 80 years old, with all of these cultural pressures around him in a culture that wants nothing to do with God, and yet he is still being faithful to God. It it would have been so easy to give up. It would have been so easy to cave in, but he didn't. And really, I think that what Daniel is going through is a lot like what we are experiencing in our lives today the same kinds of pressures, the same kinds of challenges. And so the question for us is, will we cave into the culture or will we remain faithful to the Lord? As we look at this passage of scripture that's so familiar to to many of us, I I don't want us to check out because there are some important and relevant lessons for us today from this very context, this, this very text that's in front of us your Bible's open in front of you. I want to begin by reading uh, Daniel chapter 6 and beginning in verse 1. It says this, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment. I'm not going to stop after every verse, but Um, If you're following along in this study, you'll remember that this is the second empire that Daniel has lived through, and this is now the third king that he has served. The the kingdom has uh, completely changed. There is no longer, it's no longer the Babylonians who are in charge, but it's now the Medo-Persians who are in control. And and normally when a, a change takes place and a new empire takes over, Um, what happens to the old administration? Well, they kill them off, right? They get rid of them. They wipe them out. But what's interesting to me here is that Daniel is still around. Darius is setting up this new kingdom, and I want you to just notice what he does. Verse 2, And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, To whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him then these men said we shall not find any ground or complaint against this daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his god friends let that be said of us right that that we're not able to find anything wrong with them Unless it would be in connection to them following God. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the, pre- the prefix, the uh, satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed. That the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So King Darius is setting up this new kingdom, this new administration. He looks around him and and he says, who are the most reliable, most consistent, hardworking people here? Daniel is not only a part of the 120, but uh, he's given this position of being the top three people in uh, the king's cabinet, which is quite incredible here. I mean, Daniel did his job well. He had lots of integrity. He was an exile who had been taken out of his homeland, brought into this pagan land. He works his way up through the ranks to this place where he is the top advisor of the most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the entire world. And King Darius says, you know what? I need this guy because of how wise he is. And I wonder, could that be said about us? Because I think that sometimes we think that the only way that we can get ahead is if we sell our souls to the process, or if we're so far away that we can't even influence it. Uh, but, but here is Daniel, and he says, you know what? I am not going to lose my integrity, but in the middle of all of this, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to, to be used by you for your purposes here in this world? What we see here is that King Darius gives Daniel a pivotal position when he established the new kingdom because he trusts at the excellent spirit that is evident in him. And the king wanted trustworthy people at the top of his administration. And he says, hey, here's a guy that I can trust. Daniel had been faithful in serving under previous world leaders and, and he had a great reputation, which is something that is very uncommon not only back then, but today as well, that a politician that has a squeaky clean reputation, I mean, that's just unheard of, right? And yet no one can find anything bad about Daniel except for the fact that he loves the Lord and he is full of integrity. So here's Daniel and the king puts him second in command, just like Joseph in uh, Egypt with Pharaoh. He is in the culture but not of the culture. He's doing what Jesus said in Matthew chapter five and verse 16, when he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Daniel sets, us, sets an example for us to follow when we think about reflecting the character of God as we live in our culture today. Well, Daniel's been given this position by the king But not everyone is happy about it. In fact, we're told that some of the leaders are very jealous of all the attention that he's getting. They don't like him and they start saying, is there any way that we can get him out of this position that he's in? They're looking through all of the records of anything that's ever been done that he's ever done just to try to find something, trying to find any dirt that they could possibly find against him. They they can't find anything. And so the only thing that they can come up with is going to have to try to use Daniel's faithfulness to God against him because they knew that while Daniel was faithful to the king and served the king, he would not worship the king. And so let's see what happens beginning in verse 10. It says this, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king! Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law a law of the Medes and Persians that... that Uh, No injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So here's King Darius, who has been stuck in this political deal by his advisors. They've trapped him, and he's written this law that that he now has to follow through on this, and yet... What do we see about the life of Daniel here? I love how Daniel knew that this document had been signed. And yet, what did he do? He continues on in his own habits, in the habits that he has had. He prays three times a day, looking towards Jerusalem. He says, you know what? I'm going to keep being faithful to God no matter what it is. You say, well, Daniel, I mean, don't you know that this document's been signed? And Daniel says, sure, I do. I do. And uh, I know who my God is as well, so I'm going to go pray. Uh, don't you know that they're watching you? He says, yes, and God is watching as well. I'm going to go pray. And so he goes to his house, he opens his windows, and he prays. Well, these jealous guys see him, and uh, they, they they go straight to the king with this news. The king is distressed. Because now he realizes. What he's done by making this law. But he can't go back and change this law now. And he tries to. But there's nothing that he can do. He feels the pressure of the moment. And finally he takes Daniel. And he has him thrown into the den of lions. And did you notice. What he says in verse 16. He says. Daniel may your God. Whom you serve continually. Deliver you. It's like he's saying, you know I want you around. I need you around. I hope that your God saves you. Daniel shows this remarkable resolve that he is not going to budge no matter what happens. When a political law contradicted Daniel's religious devotion, he unashamedly practiced civil disobedience even though he was fully aware of the consequences. Now, civil disobedience, that's a phrase that we use at times that that simply means this. It's a law that contradicts God's law. God's law is going to take precedence in that situation. And so if there's a civil, uh, civil law that doesn't contradict God's law, then we should follow it, even if we don't like it. And maybe an example of this might be something like a speed limit. You know, I, I don't like the speed limits all the time. And, and, and uh, you know, these speed limit signs, they infringe on our rights as American c- citizens to drive whichever way we want to drive. I don't like it. But there's nothing about God's law that says that we should not follow the speed limit, and so we follow the speed limits or we receive the consequences. On the other hand, there, there may come a time in our country's uh, history where people start telling us that we cannot believe certain things in the Bible. And that is when civil disobedience is appropriate. Now, please uh, hear me out here. I'm not trying to uh, gather a coalition and start a revolt or anything like that. Uh, What I'm encouraging here is that we are disciples, and, and I want us to be disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, we need to be faithful to the Lord. And so here is Daniel, who had faithfully served numerous kings over various empires. But he says, listen, when you start telling me that I need to worship the king rather than God, that's where I draw the line. And it's simple. It's God's law that's higher than your, your law. And so he opens his window, he gets down on his knees, and he prays. You know, I imagine Daniel in this moment, he he reads this law, and I imagine him thinking something like this. I mean, wow, all of my life I have been dealing with these guys who think that they are God when they're not. They think that they have power, but they really don't. And there are these guys who are trying to conspire against him, but Daniel knows that he must obey God rather than man. Now, I think it's interesting how the text describes King Darius that night. He's there in his palace, and he is fasting. he is restless. he is having a really, really rough time. Here is this pagan man who thought of nothing but himself. He thought about all of his power, his strength, his authority, and yet here he is, and he's calling out for help from the one true god and I realize that that most of us are familiar with this story but but we and we know what's going to happen but The the fact is that the king didn't know what was going to happen and neither did Daniel. I mean, Daniel didn't know what was going to happen to him. And if you were thrown into a hungry lion's den, what do you think would happen to you? Maybe maybe you're thinking, well, I mean, his friends, they were thrown into the fiery furnace and they survived. I, I mean, maybe he was thinking he would survive too. But the reality is, is that God doesn't promise that that's going to happen every time, right? Daniel doesn't know the end of the story, but God does. We pick it up in verse 19, and here's what it says. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that amazing? Daniel makes it through another king. He makes it through the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. Well, God was able to save Daniel from the dangerous lions, and he was able to put the nation on notice regarding his undeniable power. King Darius sends this message to anyone who would listen, to all of the peoples, the nations, the languages, that that this is the living God. The God of Daniel is the living God. Now, this is an interesting statement. Is this a statement of faith? I don't know, but it's pretty good. Uh, Something happens to Darius in his life. His life is completely changed. And, And I think that in this early morning trip back to the lion's den, it seems to be quite revealing. I mean, if you had seen someone thrown into the hungry lion's den, would you expect them to be alive and talking the next morning? Yet here is Darius and he is thinking, you know what, there's a chance. He comes to the lion's den. He asks this question, hoping that he's going to get a response from his most trusted advisor. And he does. He sees, it it, it seems that that Darius has been uptight all night long. And Daniel, on the other hand, he's been, uh, even though he was surrounded by these hungry lions, he seemed to have been rested. And, And what we see here is that the living God has put his power on display once again. Throughout this series, we have been trying to point out some of the lessons that we can learn, some of the things that we want to be aware of along the way here. And there's just a couple of things here in this chapter that I want us to notice. I don't want us to miss these things. First of all, I think about Daniel in this moment when he faces this test. Am I going to be faithful and pray to God, or am I going to bow to the king? And uh, was this a test that he knew was coming? I mean, think about that. Was was this something that Daniel had put on his calendar for the year? No. I mean, Daniel had no idea that this law was going to be made until it actually was made. And and I think that's so important for us to understand because uh, there's many things that we have no idea is coming either. I hear people many times saying, hey, you know what? I can't wait till 2021. I mean, then all the bad things that happened in 2020 are all gonna be done with. I mean, can't we just say that it's 2021 and and forget about 2020? Listen, what if 2021 is so bad that we look back and we say, Remember the good old days of 2020? And friends, the reality is that that's an option. That really could happen. We're not promised that everything is going to be good in the future. We live in a world and in a culture that's very divided. And unless the Lord intervenes, I don't see a big change taking place. Now, I say that to to all of us to say that, that, that I cannot... Uh, I I could not predict any of the things that happened in 2020 and I can't predict uh, the things that are going to happen in 2021, but I, I see in the life of Daniel a very important truth that I think we all need to know here, and that is that no one can cram for a test of adversity so we better prepare along the way. No one can cram for a test of adversity so we better prepare along the way. Listen, I know that some of you are people who were in school, you worked ahead on things. Uh, Others of us, we like to cram things in at the last minute. In fact, I I remember giving my mom, almost giving my mom heart attacks because I would wait to the last minute. Why would I do that? Well, I did it because I could. And and I would tell her, hey, mom, look, I do my best work when I wait to the last minute. And she would say, yeah, but I'm having chest pain, so why don't you get on it right now? And some of you uh, might be a little bit surprised that I used to do that when I was in school uh, because I I don't really do that anymore. Um, But I used to love to cram cram all these things in at the last minute. Let me just tell you, though, uh, you cannot cram for a test of adversity when all of a sudden something happens and the king says, by the way, you can't pray to anybody except for me. That is not the time to start studying your Bible to see what you should do. No, you need to be ready in that moment. You need to be ready in season and out of season. You don't know what's coming. Christian character is not just formed in a moment of adversity, but I think that it is more importantly formed years earlier So that when the opportunity comes, you know how to respond. 1 Peter 4 verse 12 says, Behold, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Friends, the trials are coming. The tests are here. And I don't know what your specific prayer requests are, but I think that for a lot of us, when we think about our prayer lives, when we think about what it is that we pray for, oftentimes, we we just want our circumstances to get better. God, would you help my circumstances get better? But when you look at Daniel, this is what you see him saying. God, would you use my circumstances to make you look better? If you got to throw me in the lion's den, that's fine. God, I just want you to look good. He's looking at the bigger picture. It's not about his comfort or his prosperity or about anything going his, everything going his way. No, no, no. He wants to follow God no matter what happens in his circumstances. So Daniel has been preparing for this test, and he responds with faithfulness in the midst of adversity. But I also want you to notice what happens in verse 24, because I think that this is such an, an important warning for us here. When Daniel is removed from the lion's den, King Darius brings all of these conspirators and he has them thrown into the den instead. But did you catch who went went in there along with them here? We read this and it bothers us, but I uh, I want this to just get our attention for a moment here this morning. Here's what it says again in verse 24. And the king commanded And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. King was so enraged over this conspiracy to try and remove his most trusted political advisor that he brought all of these people to be thrown into the den of lions and he brought their wives and their kids as well. 16-year-olds, 6-year-olds, 2-year-olds. It doesn't tell us here in this text their name or their ages, but we do know that there were wives and children who were thrown into this den of lions along with these men. The Bible doesn't say, yeah, you know what, they got what was coming to them. Daniel doesn't go around bragging about this, but what we read here are the facts. And this is what pagan kings do. They they are going to make an example out of anyone who tries to usurp their authority. I read this and this is so overwhelming to me. I think, wow, I mean, these poor wives and kids, I mean, wouldn't they say something like, hey, you know, we didn't do anything wrong. King, we didn't do anything against you. We didn't do anything against Daniel. Can we just stay home? We won't cause any problems for you. What I think we need to understand here is that our decisions affect our families. Our rebellious ways affect those who are closest to us. These wives and kids are sitting in the comfort of their homes. And and that morning, they got a very rude awakening for something that they didn't even do. Is it fair? No. Is it reality? Yes. And I know that there are some of you here today who have experienced a lot of pain in your life as a result of the decisions of someone else. And maybe you weren't thrown into the den of lions, but you sure felt like you were. Your spouse did this, your uh, parents did this, your kids made this decision, Your, your brother and your sister, they did that. And you say, you know what, I didn't do anything, but you still had to deal with the consequences of it. Friends, we just need to understand that our decisions affect those closest to us. Dads, the way you lead your home will have something to do with how your kids understand God. Husbands, the way you love your wives will help people understand the love of Christ. Wives, the way that you love and respect your husband will teach your children what a marriage relationship should look like. Moms, the way that you nurture those kids, the way that you prioritize things will tell them what they should value most in life. Hear me out. Friends, if we get this wrong, the consequences for this could be So much worse than being thrown into a den of lions. The decisions that we make affect those around us, not just us. As we close our time here today, let me just say this. There is a living God who is sovereign over the events of this world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If, you're, if we're going to put our trust in anything, we need to put our trust in him. No matter what is going on in this world, no matter what is going on in our culture today, there is one who still muzzles lions. Let's pray.